Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello there, welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. We are heading into the penultimate weekend of the Premier League season. It's hard to believe. It's just, it's gone. Next weekend is the final weekend of uh, of the Premier League. And you're going, whoa, whoa. That's just occurred to me now, by the way, just as I was saying it out loud. It's like, what? How? Just a, a few minutes ago, we were... We were going, where are all the players that we're supposed to buy? How how are we going to play Liverpool without any centre-halves? We don't have any Koscielny's. Chambers and Holding? Come on, that's not going to work, Arsene Wenger. And, and now, here we are in May. We've got a round of games this weekend. We've got Everton next weekend. Also, we've got Sunderland, of course, in midweek because we're doing some fixture catch-up. But that's it. That is it for another season. And it's like, am I getting older? Is it because I'm getting older that things are going by? so much more quickly or or has this season just flown by with all the excitement and good times and fun that we've had that must be it it is hard to believe though that it's that it's it's done it's gone it's done and dusted and we're heading into a summer where where uh, yeah well what the fuck is this summer going to be like when you stop and think about that, what is the summer going to be like? Who's going to be manager? Who's going to be at the club? Which players are going to be here? Turn their phone off before you start recording, you unprofessional asshole. Who's going to be the chief executive? Is is anybody going to be left? Will they all be gone? Who's going to be making any decisions about who's going to who's going to buy the players? Don't worry, Dick Law is going to be around for a while yet, so everything should be everything should be okay. Dick Law, he is the glue that's uh, it's holding it all together. You see, look, he's even he's even got his own theme tune. Anyway, look, we are heading into the penultimate round of fixtures in the Premier League. We still have Sunderland as well, but we're still in there. There's still a chance. It's out of our hands, of course, but there is still a chance for us to finish in the top four. And this time last week, I am not sure that I was that confident that we could still be in here because we had to face Manchester United on Sunday. Uh, Arsene Wenger's record against Jose Mourinho, of course, was not great. We know that. Uh, and then we were going away to Southampton, a ground at which we hadn't won since 2003, even if it did span a period of time in the uh, Premier League when Southampton weren't in it. 
they were sort of below. They were in the they were in the championship. But here we are. We've come through those two fixtures very well. And I think if you had said to people this time last week, look, guys, you're going to win both those games. Going to score a couple of goals in each game. You're not going to concede any goals. And you're going to be right in there. You're putting some pressure on Liverpool, maybe Manchester City. I think I would have said, hey, you you guy telling me this, you're nuts. You're not, look at how we played against Tottenham. It was terrible. They played us off the park. And we just have, you know, we're, we're in a bit of a mess. Everything's a bit of a mess. But look, here we are. We beat Manchester United 2-0. Uh, we beat Southampton 2 0 on Wednesday night. Uh, brilliant goal from Alexis Sanchez. Absolutely amazing goal from Alexis. When he does that, you're like, oh, re- I really love that guy. And then you forget the guy who, for the previous 10 minutes, had given the ball away constantly and taken a, a terrible foul throw and just was uh, nothing was working for him. And then just bang, he sparked into life and, and scored a, a fantastic goal. And then we got a second goal a bit later on to seal the deal. Aaron Ramsey heading back uh, an Alexis Sanchez cross over to Olivier Giroud, who'd come off the bench to score for the for the sixth time this season as a substitute. He is indeed a super sub. And there we are. We've won two games in a row, having conceded six points on the board. And if Liverpool drop points against West Ham, if we can go to Stoke and win, whoo, it's all going to get very exciting in the final week. If Liverpool drop points and we beat Stoke, it's in our own hands. We beat Sunderland, we beat Everton, we're in the top four. Blimey. Couldn't happen, could it? I mean, we couldn't, could we? I mean, he couldn't do it again, could he? Whew, we'll see, we'll see. Uh, I did like the way Arsene Wenger was not getting ahead of himself at all when he was uh, asked about those chances after the Southampton game. He's like, look, we've got to go to a ground where we haven't won since uh, 2010. We haven't won at Stoke in a long time. It's always a difficult game, and they are always very annoying. They they damage us, and we do owe them one, but he wasn't getting ahead of himself after two good wins. You know, there's still work to do. we got to win those games, so we'll, uh, we'll chat with our guest a little bit later on about that. But, of course, all the talk this week has been about Arsene Wenger and the director of football thingy. He was having a very nice press conference on Tuesday ahead of the Southampton game, and then he was asked, what about the rumours that Arsenal are going to appoint a, a director of football? What, have you anything to say, anything about that? And he was all... No, 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 sorry, no. And then there was the best bit of all, where Arsene Wenger, a man who understands football as well as anybody. Look, you can criticise him for uh, the way his teams play and everything else, but you cannot doubt the fact that he is a hugely, highly intelligent man who's worked in football at the top flight of football for 30 years across Europe. He knows players, he knows managers, directors, owners. He knows football inside out, and he pretended that he didn't know what a director of football was. Director of football, I don't know what it means. Is it somebody who stands on the road and directs, play right and left? I don't understand. I never could understand what it means, director of football. Some have said that it's a shot across the bows of Ivan Gazidis, who wants a director of football. Other people have suggested that this director of football thing is the brainchild of Josh Kroenke. That's where it's coming from, and that might in some ways uh, be part of Wenger's absolute vehemence against it. Because, look, we know he knows what a director of football is. He was on the Arsenal website back in 2008 before we appointed Ivan Gazidis. 
talking about how a director of football might work at an English club once the roles were clearly defined. And I think that's what the thing is with Arsene Wenger, is that the idea that if he is going to stay on, there's somebody else who could who could say, look, we're going to buy this player. Whether you like him or not, we're going to put him in your squad, whether you want him or not. I think most managers would be opposed to that kind of a thing, unless they were at a club where that structure was absolutely set in stone and had a, a track record of working. But, you know, the idea of Arsene Wenger going, what is a director of football like? guy, someone who directs footballers left and right. I mean, what is a bus conductor? Is it a, is it a bus who conducts an orchestra and tells them when to play the triangle? And the brass section, when does that come in? The bus will conduct the orchestra. What about a fireman? Is that a man who is on fire or a man made of fire? Oh, you're a pilot. You're a pilot, you say. Does that mean you make lots of pies? What is this surgeon? Is it a man called John who has been knighted? The idea that Arsene Wenger would sit in a press conference in front of journalists, uh, in front of all the people watching who know that he knows and deny completely that he understands what the role of a director of football is, is, is absurd. It's absolutely ludicrous. And it just speaks to the... The absurdity of what's going on at Arsenal right now, where nobody has any idea what's happening or nobody's prepared to 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 give clarity in any way. Was this a, a, a shot at the board? Was it a shot at the chief executive? Was it a shot at the owner? Was it a man digging his heels in? I mean, ultimately, when it comes down to it, Arsene Wenger's contract runs out in about six weeks at Arsenal. He's not necessarily in a position of power because the club don't have to fire him all they have to do is not give him a new contract. So he's not hes not really in a position of power unless, having spoken to Stan Kroenke, for example, he knows that Stan Kroenke is 100% behind him. And that way he can, he can say something like that in a press conference, knowing that it would put him at loggerheads with uh, Josh Kroenke. Although, what a wanker Stan would be if he gave Arsene Wenger his full backing, knowing that his son wanted to bring in a director of football, but he was still on Arsene's side. Maybe Josh Kroenke is that annoying that even his own dad doesn't like him. I don't know. I've never met the guy. Maybe he's a very personal guy. I'm just saying. I'm just throwing out these concepts here. But, you know, what? 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 I don't know. Just every week there's something else going on with this football club, and you go, well, it can't get any stranger than this. And then it gets stranger and stranger. So who knows what will happen next week. Arsene Wenger, what is a football? Is it a ball made of feet? I don't know. I never could understand what a football was. A little bit later on, I will give you the winners of the mug competition, a Boilk mug. Actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give two mugs away because we've had two wins this week, and I think that deserves extra generosity on my part. And just in case, I know it's ludicrous and a ludicrous idea, just in case... The mugs are lucky, or the mug competitions are lucky. I'll give you another chance to win this week as well. So stand by for that. I'll give you the uh, question or give you the competition details a bit later on. But now let's chat to our guest, a bit of football podcast crossover from the Football Ramble. It's Jim Campbell. Hello there. Hey, how you doing? I'm all right, thanks. And uh, all the better for seeing Arsenal win two games in a row, 2-0 both times, and with clean sheets, considering the way our defence has been in recent times, there could well be something to the suggestion that moving to three at the back has made a, an impact from a defensive point of view. Yeah, it's been great, hasn't it? It's um, it's almost like watching Arsenal with stabilisers on. Um <laughs> 
because it's been a bit wonky, it's been a bit rickety. We've just done something to shore it up that everyone else seems to be doing and we've not been too embarrassed to do it. And mm. uh, it's been nice to get a look at Rob Holding, hasn't it? Because he's got a lot of protection in there when he's played. Um, but he's, he's done very well in, in, in the games that he's featured. Um, but it, as you say, it's nice to just see Arsenal get two, two, you wouldn't say routine wins against Man United, but the manner of the performances felt very win. It's mm. very, sorry, routine. It just it just feels really good to to see them just, just win, even if it's very functional. And mm. there's a little bit of flow coming back into the games. They had very similar patterns where the first half was absolutely turgid, but then they sort of, you know, stepped it up a bit in the second. Yeah, for like, I mean, there was against United, there were obviously the two goals in quick succession around more or less the same time that we scored against Southampton. This time there was only one goal from Alexis Sanchez, but it was a piece of football that... I think you come to to associate with Arsenal, or people have associated with, with Arsenal down the years. You know, we played the ball from deep. The ball came into Sanchez. He held it up, laid it off to Granit Xhaka, who played it to Ozil, back to Sanchez. And then he just performed this, this piece of skill that really uh, set him apart from pretty much every other player on the pitch, uh, which was in sort of contrast to some of the other stuff he'd done. We might touch on that in a minute, but... But having that kind of player who can turn a game in a matter of two or three seconds, it's very often the difference at this level. Absolutely. And I think, it's, you know, it, I think it's maybe gone under the radar a little bit about what a significant win this is, because it's been a long time since we won it at, at Southampton. They've been a real bogey team for us for a bit. There yeah. wasn't really much about that going into the game, certainly from, from what I saw. And this is one we, we've slipped up on so many times. And now to, to sort of exercise that, I know they're not in the best form generally Southampton. They're having a bit of a strange old season, but, um, but yeah, it was, it, it was good. And it is important to have a player in there like that. And it, it reminds me of when Robin Van Persie was, dragged us into the top four and, and how crucial it was to have him mm-hmm. and, and Sanchez has been a similar similar figure this season despite all the sort of strangeness surrounding his, his future and stuff I guess it's comparable really in that, in that same way but yeah, it is, uh, yeah, yeah there's been far too few of those moments of magic um, that's the problem with Arsenal isn't it people they, you know, they, they know how to shut us out so it, it depends on moments like that for mm-hmm. us to get things out of the game and there's not been enough this year yeah I think the Van Persie comparison is, is interesting I made the same comparison in a piece I, I wrote yesterday for another website but you know he was a guy who had that that ability to provide a moment of individual brilliance and in some ways the team became a little bit too reliant on him and timing obviously circumstances he wanted to leave he knew he had a finite amount of time left at, at the top level um and and we were at the point where our finances weren't quite flowing the way that they're flowing right now so van persie was sold and Giroud came in Podolski came in, Cazorla came in that summer in some ways yeah. financed by the, the Van Persie money or the Van Persie money offset the purchases when he went later in, in that summer. But you do wonder, you know, what if we had made those purchases and kept Robin Van Persie? Because oh, I-, I think there was a shift, wasn't there, towards, okay, look, we, we've been very reliant on Van Persie. Let's make it a bit more collective. Let's make us less reliant on the goals of one man I think that is sensible in many ways but if you can do that if you can increase the collective contribution but also keep that one guy who can provide those moments of brilliance then you give yourself a much better chance of of winning the title think about all the teams that win the title they generally have at least one player who who is capable of those moments and yeah. down the years we we haven't had that and we do have that with Alexis Sanchez now even if he is frustrating in many ways yeah quite and it's it's just 
difficult. It's, it's an interesting comparison, isn't it? Because you know you, you you could look ahead and think, well, actually, this is what we need to do this summer if we can get our way into the top four and we can keep Sanchez. I think Özil might stay based on the, the noises he's making. Sort of whatever happens, but Sanchez in particular, it's it's important to keep. Um, but so much of it depends not just on the top four, but but on the future of, of Arsene Wenger. It's just there are so many question marks hanging over the club. It's mm. it's it's a weird feeling to have at the end of the season, isn't it? Where normally, as an Arsenal fan, you look ahead and there's a slight optimism, thinking we might bring some new players in, might have a bit of a, a clear out. That generally never happens, so you have that sort of that fog over it of thinking oh, it'll probably be the same old, same old. But this time is different. It's it's so uncertain, and my suspicion is they're waiting to announce that Wenger's going to sign his two two year deal, probably after the season tickets have been renewed, and it will just be the same again. But it's it's weird this uncertainty, and I wonder if it's going to affect our transfer business because we've dallied so much in, in you know in recent years. We're clearly you know not on on top of our game in that regard as we as we once were. Um, so I just I just really hope this isn't going to become a, a saga that just mm. you know leaves us playing catch up really early again because that's been part of the problem. You know our, our summer isn't finished until the season starts if that makes sense. And, yeah, and it's held us back, and and here we are every year. Yeah, I mean I think that's a great point because even when we have no real distractions, so to speak, we find it difficult to complete deals in a timely manner because we were looking for a striker, we were looking for a centre-half all throughout last summer. And they did try. I mean, they tried to bring in Jamie Vardy very early, but in the end, they brought in Lucas Perez, who didn't arrive until the the, the very end of August. Yeah. And there, there weren't... I mean, I know the European Championships were on, but still, it's it's possible to do business this time around. It's very hard to know what the fuck is going to happen because of the situation with the manager, because of all the stuff that seems to be brewing behind the scenes, that talk of whether there's boardroom uh, friction, whether there's uh, communication issues between the manager and the board, which I'm told that there are. This is going on. And we could be in a situation, A, where we get to June and the manager, the decision is made, let's say, not to continue with Arsene Wenger, then Arsenal all of a sudden are scratching around for a manager. That's not a process that is really easy. That takes no. a bit of time, and I'm I'm not convinced that there is in any way a contingency plan for Wenger leaving. I, you know, I'm, maybe we have a short list with some names on it, but I don't think it's the right way to transition from a manager to Wenger. Or we could be in a situation where perhaps members of the board who are uh, against Arsene Wenger signing a new deal, but who might be overruled by Stan Kroenke, decide, well, look, you know, it's time for us to go. So you have a boardroom deficit then. You might have a, a club without a chief executive. Is that going to have an impact on the way that we do business? It, it's also up in the air. It's just, yeah. it's bizarre for a club like Arsenal, who have for many years prided themselves on being well run. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's a mess, isn't it? And I think part of the, Part of the problem is that if there isn't a, if, if Wenger doesn't want to leave, he's the man who puts the succession in place. So if he doesn't want to leave, he simply doesn't do that. So the board are in a situation where if they if they decide that they want him to leave, then they're in a position where they you know they're not really they're not really football people are they? They're business people by and large. So replacing Arsene Wenger is firstly difficult because they don't have experience of it. But the man's been at the club for over 20 years. So the, the way a modern football club works now, Arsene Wenger's job is, is about 
six people's job. So mm. you've got to replace that as well. And I, I think that we wouldn't be hearing this stuff about a director of football uh, if Wenger was planning to leave because that would it would be strange. Why would be here? Why would we be hearing about an appointment coming in to maybe ease his workload um, if there wasn't going to be a workload? So I think that's probably a little clue that this is going to happen. But that that unrest is is worrying ahead of the new season because you know they have got to get their their ducks in a row before, before the transfer window opens and before we figure out you know what the plan is next season depending on which european competition we're playing in as well and yeah. as you say it's you know we, we were we were we did pride ourselves on, on being very well run and sort of doing things you know the right way in, in inverted commas as, as people often said about us and that seems to have just um, it's been neglected, I think, since since Kroenke took over, because, mm. you know, for us, you know, we all know he, we're an investment vehicle for that man. So he just wants, you know, us us getting a Champions League place and him being able to take his dividends out of the club being really, really stressful. Um, he just doesn't care about that's that's the same to him as us winning the league, isn't it? It's like for him, it's he's far off, doesn't care. Um, so. You know, whatever game on, that however stressed out we get, however angry people are on Arsenal fan TV, however many bed sheets get ruined in the game, it, it doesn't make a difference to him. And this is one of the things I think that's frustrating um, when you hear sort of punditry from outside of the club. Um, I have this on the Ramble as well, where obviously the rest of the guys don't sort of don't follow Arsenal as closely. It seems really obvious to everyone else. Well, you need to do X, Y, and Z. You know, you just need to you know replace Wenger with someone a bit more forward thinking, or do this, do that, and yeah, that all makes sense from outside. But the board don't care, do they? They don't care at the crucial level where those decisions get authorised. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's not apparent that they care. But what we what we don't know is what they think. We we have got no clue whatsoever in. As to what they're thinking, um, you know, Ivan Gazidis, maybe he is absolutely de- dedicated to like a catalyst for change, um, but that sounds to me like a like a buzzword, like political sloganeering. Yeah, strong strength and stability. Oh, absolutely! Like, I mean, what you know, if he came out tomorrow and went, you know, change a doodle do, or y- yes, we <laughs> probably can, but we won't. Um, you know, you'd be it's equally. Four years we'll be changing into Bayern Munich. Yeah, exactly. You know, you're just going. What What on earth is going on? I mean, we don't have any clarity whatsoever uh, from the top of the club, and um, it, it is a worry because it seems that the. There is some tension there. I mean, I presume you saw Arsene Wenger talking about the director of football thing and and being quite clear that he was not going to work or would not work in a structure where, and I don't think it's necessarily director of football itself, but I think the idea is that somebody else would come in and decide for him what players the club is going to buy. I think that's his sticking point with it. I don't think necessarily that he is against working with somebody who he trusts, somebody whose judgment he trusts, somebody who can in some ways make his workload a bit easier and somebody who could perhaps improve things at the football club in terms of recruitment. Uh, And that's an area that definitely needs to be recruited. But I, you know, I do wonder if it's, if it's, he feels like this is something that is being foisted on him for expedience sake because it's going to reflect well on on the likes of Gazidis, who to this point have been absolutely dead silent. I, I looked it up. The last time Ivan Gazidis said anything whatsoever about Arsene Wenger, and even then he didn't say very much, was October 2016. Since then, wow. we've heard nothing from him about uh, the manager, the manager's situation, the goings-on at the football club. There's been nothing public other than some back-channel stuff to journalists and that fans forum meeting through which there was like second-hand reporting. That's it. We haven't, like, nothing. 
Well, when you when you club are doing well, this sort of culture of silence and keeping everything in house is great, isn't it? Because it, you know it, it reflects a sort of quiet dignity. But when there's so much uncertainty, it just it seems to show a sort of disdain for the for the fans. Because it's you know Arsenal are an expensive club. You know people laugh at Arsenal fan TV all the time, right? But one of the guys in there is always making that point that he he spent like seventy grand following Arsenal over however long it is that uh, he calculated that time. It's a lot of money for most people. So you know if they go every week, they're entitled to you know, to voice their opinions. Um, but with this, this director of football thing, I wonder if, uh, if this has happened already with Lucas Perez, because it looks very much like he's not Wenger's man. But, uh, the, no, the, but, but how does that happen, Jim? Because we know for a fact, I mean, this is one of the criticisms that people make of Arsene Wenger is that uh, he, he makes all the decisions. He is the one who gives the green light to any transfer that comes into this club. And you can look at Lucas Perez and say, yeah, maybe he wasn't like his first choice, but ultimately he had to be his choice. The same with someone like Park. Um, maybe yeah. he wasn't uh, somebody that he really, really wanted, but in the end he had to give the green light. Mm. Well, I wonder if he was perhaps kind of strong-armed into it or there was some sort of compromise or perhaps you know, if Ancazidis went over his head. I, it's, it's hard to know, isn't it? Yeah. Because we know so little of how the club works. But I just, it, he is like a good Park Chu Young. young. It's, it's, it's a strange signing because he's, his performances on the pitch have largely, you know, yielded goals or assists, and he, he, you sort of forget he's even there. So I just wonder if this is if Wenger making a point, and what we're what we're seeing now is a sort of culmination of this. Mm, maybe because I mean he was he talked about Lucas Perez in glowing terms. He said he's a really good player, and he said I feel sorry for him that I haven't been able to give him the games that he deserves. He's actually talking about him giving the games that yeah. that he deserves, and you know you feel like there are games where where Perez would have been a really good option either from the bench a bit earlier or even to, to start games. So, you know, I suppose it does fuel those conspiracy theories that why would a manager who thinks a player is a good player who deserves to play more and who who has contributed in a, in a pretty decent way whenever he has been given a chance, why would you leave him out? Is that cutting off your nose to spite your face? Or is it, are you, like you say, making a point again? You know, it's 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 very difficult to know, isn't it? Mm, absolutely, and uh, hence the hence the frustration. We're just taking a very short break in the middle of the interview with Jim, just to build in the bit where there could be an ad. There may be an ad, there may not be an ad, but if there is an ad, it's going to appear right now. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And if you didn't get an ad, that was about, I don't know, 1.2 seconds worth of silence. That's all. So let's get back to Jim. 
So do you do you feel we're going to get to the top four? Do you think we're going to be able to do it, looking at the games that the other teams have? I, I don't. Um, yeah, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, I was quite adamant on the, the Arscast Extra that no, there was no way. I think after we lost to Spurs, I think that was... That was it for me. Um, I mean, you look at what we did at Southampton and we haven't won there since 2003. Now, bearing in mind, Southampton were out of the Premier League from 2004 to 2012. But, yeah. our, you know, our record there has not been great. We went there and we won. And yeah. quite often, those records that people bring up are, are things that are, are, are almost like a millstone around our neck. We're not necessarily able to cope with those pressures. If we can beat Stoke on Saturday... And yeah. and that is a really difficult place for us to go. It's two thousand. The last time we won there was two thousand and ten, and that was a three-one win. And it was the game when Aaron Ramsey's leg was broken by by Ryan Shawcross. That was the last time we won at Stoke City. It has been a ground which has left, I think, scars on the psyche of not just this team but the football club itself. Yeah. If we can go there and win a game. I wouldn't necessarily be confident, but you look at the next two games we have, we've got Sunderland at home and uh, Everton at home on the final day. Then you go, well, look, anything anything could happen. But I think so much depends on what happens on Saturday at Stoke. I mean, what, yeah. what, what do you reckon? Uh, well, I think, as you say, they, are, they have been in good, quite stoic form recently. Um, Stoke will really want to sort of Stoke will want to beat us, obviously, because it's, it's a grudge match, regardless of how things have maybe cooled a bit in the past few years. Um, so I, th- I think the motivation will be really high for Arsenal. In a sense, if if we need something to G us up and inspire us to actually get things over the line and, and win the next three games on the bounce, there's probably nothing wrong with having a bit of a challenge in the way. That's That's been our problem too often, mm. isn't it? Shying away from these challenges. They simply have to step up here. And Aaron Ramsey's been very impressive in the last couple of games. Isn't it? The thing I like about him um, is that he's led you know, he, he's, he's been vocal, he's been very positive and, and he's made things happen. So I've, I do feel we can get a result. It will be tough. Um, and the problem is as well, it's out of our hands. You've got to look at the fixtures the other teams have. So Man City have got to play Leicester, West Brom and Watford. And they probably want to get some revenge over Leicester who beat them earlier in the season. And that's the one fixture you'd look at where they might, you know, they might drop some points. And then Liverpool have got West Ham at the London Stadium uh, and Middlesbrough at home. And you'd think, you know, they're certainly capable of winning both of those games. So it it's really tough. It's out of our hands. But I I think I'm, I'm the same as you. Really, a couple of weeks ago I would have said something different. But I think we're in a position to give ourselves the best chance uh, to you know to to try and make someone slip up. But mm. we, we tend to thrive in these situations, don't we? Where we, there's nothing really major we can win, so the pressure's off and we can just play our natural game. Yeah. Yeah, whatever our natural game is anymore, but I, I absolutely take your point there. Um, you know, Liverpool, West Ham, I think that's the one where they might drop points because, yeah. you know, West Ham uh, are, are pesky and annoying to, to other teams, uh, not necessarily for, for us, uh, but they certainly have been for other teams. You see what they did last weekend, rather hilariously, uh, to Tottenham, um, and absolutely fair play to them, and I will uh, give them all a manly handshake uh, for that. That's the one. So if we can beat Stoke on Saturday and West Ham take some points off Liverpool, then oh. at what point does it become in our own hands? I have to, I'm going to have to look at the, uh, the table here and just see um, how it looks. In, if Liverpool drew that game, would that give us enough? Let's see. So uh, Liverpool have got 70 points. We have got 66 points with a game in hand. So win our game in hand and we've got 69 points and Liverpool have 70 points. If Liverpool yeah. then... Drew, they drop any points. Anywhere. They drop any points. Then it's in uh-huh. our hands. 
to yeah. finish above them. So, wow, come on, West Ham. And, uh, yeah, but... well, that's the great thing with both Liverpool and City. They, they drop stupid points. So, you know, you, you can look at all of those games and think, you know, that they're the mm. favourites in all of them. But that's not how the Premier League goes, is it? So, yeah, we, I'm... I'm I'm, I'm the, whatever the notch below quietly confident is, I'm that. <laughs> um, very, very quietly confident. Silently confident. Yeah, yeah silently know. confident, like Stan Kroenke himself. Yes, the man himself. Um, I suppose there are other things that we need to look at as well when it comes to this summer. And, and uh, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain is a player whose contract is heading into the final 12 months. I have this suspicion that the reason why so many players' contracts are are winding down is because maybe at the start of the campaign, Arsene Wenger thought it would be his final one and was leaving yeah. decisions to a, to a new manager. So uh, uh, Wilshire, Oxlade-Chamberlain, uh, Chesney, Gibbs, players like that, obviously Ozil and Sanchez, I think if they could have extended those contracts before now, they absolutely would have. But Alex yeah. Oxlade-Chamberlain, a guy who's... I won't say blossomed, but certainly enjoying the best spell of his uh, uh, of the season at the moment, playing at right wing back. Uh, he's a guy whose decision uh, decision has to be made about his future. I mean, the manager keeps talking about wanting to keep him, but as far as we know, there's been no offer on the table, and we keep getting these stories which look like they're leaked from the Oxlade-Chamberlain uh, camp yeah. that Liverpool are interested, for example. Whether it's a way of forcing Arsenal's hand or whether it is something that he's genuinely interested in, we don't know, but it's it's another sort of area of inaction, isn't it, where we keep talking about how we want to keep him, and we don't do anything about it. I wonder if um, if there is a bit of kind of brinkmanship going on there because I really like Oxley Chamberlain. and He's been in good form um, of, of late and he was in quite good form at the start of the season, if I remember properly. But he, he did drop off a lot. He was one of those people that was a particularly sluggish performer at times. And he, you know, he does... He's got an absolutely incredible knack of providing a killer through ball to the opposition, which he hasn't <laughs> necessarily ironed out of his game yet. So I, I wonder if... If people look at him, and you know the, the value put on him is, is always like thirty million or thirty-five million, something like that. And I, I wonder if people are still sort of, you know, projecting potential onto him because I, I really like him, as I say, but I feel he maybe should be contributing more for the stage of his career that he's at. So I wonder mm. if the club are looking at that in the same way and just sort of dallying. That seems to have been what defines us, um, you know, in the, the past few years, just dallying about things. Mm. And before we just uh, finish up here, we. We have to look at the midfield partnership. One of the things that's been an issue all season is how functional our midfield has been. And I think the answer has been not very. But mm. with Aaron Ramsey enjoying a run of games, Granite Xhaka rising above, I think, uh, some of the criticism that's been leveled at him, which has been over the top. You see people um, making ludicrous comparisons um, uh, with other players and how Xhaka has been a flop. I don't think he's been a flop at all. I think he's been a, re a reasonably bright spot in a in a team that hasn't uh, really hasn't clicked a, as a team. But Ramsey and Xhaka, I, I always felt like they had the, the ability to work well together and we're seeing that I mean keeping those two guys fit and, and working together for the last few games of the season is going to be important absolutely slot together very well don't they because I think um, they're they complement each other well because Xhaka isn't the player that he's he's billed as is he he's I think people expect him to be this kind of um, you know ball busting defensive midfielder and he's not you know he's he's you know he's a he's a quite deep lying playmaker with a long range of passing uh, and it's like saying that Nacho Monreal is is a terrible striker and we need to get rid of him it's, it's you know he's 
he's judged on a set of standards that don't apply to his actual game. So um, I, I think too much is made of his, uh, his his tackling being very reckless because it clearly is. But you know, he he isn't necessarily in there as as the enforcer that, that people think he is. So I think they they slot together well because you know. Ramsey will carry the ball forward when he, when he, when it's given to him, and, and Jack is good at distributing it like that. So I think it's that fulcrum works better than any other combination we have, and I, I think for now stick to it. But there is a there is clear building work to be done in the summer. We can't have a situation where we only have one set of midfielders that that complement each other like that. I mean, missing Santi Cazorla for the, the whole season has has been a massive blow to us, which has been a you know has gone way under the radar. I think. Um, but yeah, it, w- something needs to change in that midfield. I don't know he, who needs to move on or, or who needs to come in, but it's it's kind of ridiculous that we have this like wonky set of midfield options. Yeah, yeah, definitely something to be worked on by whoever the manager is, and by ever by whoever the transfer fixer is, and by whoever the chief executive is, and uh, who knows who Most else. Clubs know this, yeah. don't they? They do. Most yeah, know who the people at their club are. Yeah. Oh well, look. This is Arsenal. We never do things the easy way, do we? Um, In any way. Um, Just before we let you go, uh, Football Ramble are doing a live show uh, at the end of this month. So do give us some details about that if people want to head along. We certainly are. We're doing the Hackney Empire on the 27th of May, which is the day of the FA Cup final. But don't worry, it starts uh, it starts in plenty of time for you to see the game and then, then come along. So if you go to uh, hackneyempire.co.uk or check out at Football Ramble on Twitter or you know any of our social channels, uh, there'll be links to tickets there. We're going to uh, have some special guests. We're going to do some some games, some audience interaction, uh, just probably round up the season, really. And it's, yeah, our live shows are a lot of fun. Um, so, yeah, come along, get your tickets from hackneyempire.co.uk. All right. Well, listen, uh, good luck with that. Uh, hopefully, you're celebrating on the evening. Um, you too. With an FA Cup. And uh, look, we'll catch you again soon, Jim. Thanks a million. Cheers. Thank you very much indeed to Jim. Of course, he likes to keep it a bit hush hush. That his brothers, Saul and Kevin, were big, big stars at Arsenal. But trust me, this is a, a well connected guy. You can follow him on Twitter at Jim Campbell. TFR. That's at Jim Campbell TFR. And also, uh, he's part of the uh, Football Ramble podcast, which I'm sure many of you listen to as well, which is at Football Ramble. Right. Competition time. Last week, I asked you just to email me to tell me that you wanted one of our world famous boil mugs. And many of you did. Thank you indeed for entering. And uh, our first winner, look, <laughs> you might laugh. I certainly laughed when when I saw it, um, and you might think, "Hey, this is a this is a fix." It's not. What I do is I have to like assign each entry a number and then put those into the random number generator. It would be just much easier for me to pick out names which look interesting and funny, but that's not what happened. But Benjamin Beer, Benjamin Beer, you have won yourself a boiled mug. Well done to you. Uh, you've got a surname that I like, my friend. So well done to you, Benjamin Beer. You get yourself a mug. And as I said, I was going to give away two. The second uh, winner is Isabel Rhodes. So well done to Benjamin Beer and Isabel Rhodes. Uh, you have both got yourself boiled mugs. I'll be in touch to get your details and we'll get those mugs out to you. Now, if you'd like to win yourself a boiled mug, I think we should have a question this week. Last week was a bit too easy, just emailing me and telling me that you uh, that you want a mug. I think I've got to make you work for it a little bit this week. So, given that we just beat Southampton for the first time 
since 2003 in the Premier League. Please tell me who scored the winning goal the last time we beat Southampton in the Premier League. I want to know who scored the goal at St. Mary's to give us a win away from home to Southampton way back in 2003. Please send your entries to competition at arsblog.com. That is competition at arsblog.com and I will give you uh, the winners on next week's Arscast, which will, of course, be the uh, the final weekend of the Premier League season. Holy moly. Holy crap. Uh, I have to share something with you right now. I have to share it. I'm sorry. It's in my head. It's been in my head for weeks and weeks. I can't get it out of my head. So my my feeling is that if I share it, maybe it will be like, uh, you know, what they say a problem shared is a problem halved. And a problem shared with all the listeners of this podcast is a a problem thousandth into thousands of of people who listen to this. So, do you know the song uh, by Sia called Chandelier? I'm sure many of you do. I'm sure there are those of you out there who have no idea what that song is, but it doesn't matter whether you know it or not. I'm going to play you a little clip of it now because this bit of the song has been stuck in my head with the wrong lyric, the wrong lyric for weeks now. So this this is the bit. So what she's singing is, I want to swing from the chandelier, except in my head, it's I want to squeal on a trampoline. I want to squeal on a trampoline. Yeah, it's in my head. I'm sorry. This is like a bit of a therapy session for me. I sit down here in my office. I've got a beer in front of me, a Sierra Nevada torpedo, and I I need to find some way to get this song out of my head. I've tried all the other earworms I can think of. I've tried that Girls Aloud song. You know the one. I don't know if this happens to anyone else, but sometimes I get a little bout of insomnia. Very rarely, thankfully, it's not that often, but when it happens, I'm lying there in bed, I'm tossing and turning, trying to get to sleep, but there's there's a song in my head, and it's usually like two two lines of a song or half the chorus of a song, just repeating, 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 repeating. And one night, I was uh, in Galway, And I had to drive back to Dublin the next morning and I lay there for about six hours with that song going around and around and around in my head. Honestly, but it's been usurped, it's been trumped by this squeal on a trampoline song. I even tried, like, what's the colour of money? So, look, by sharing this, by broadcasting this, I'm hoping to to rid my mind of this terrible earworm. I'm hoping that by by opening up to you, by being as brutally honest and frank as I've ever been on this podcast, it might help me, and I hope you'll indulge me in that. I do, obviously, appreciate all of you who download this show and take the time to listen to it every week or twice a week even. And I know that there are some of you out there now who are going... Fuck you, you absolute wanker. You just put three earworms in my head and I can't get any of them out. And they're like, it's like a mashup earworm, 
But I'm sorry, I had to. I had to. It's just the way it is. I know we should talk about football, shouldn't we? But what can we say? We don't know anything about the team because we played on Wednesday. Hopefully the uh, injury to Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain is not going to be too difficult uh, for him to overcome because, well, you know, he's done well in that right wing-back position. And, of course, he must have had his eye on the uh, the FA Cup final. <sighs> Hector Bellerin, the door is open for him again if Oxlade-Chamberlain is out and... He continues to play well. Maybe he'll get the nod at Wembley because he's been the guy who's been doing, who's been playing the games. And Oxley Chamberlain spoke uh, last month, I think, about not making the 2014 FA Cup final. He was absolutely good at it. He said, uh, in the season when we first won the FA Cup, I played pretty much all the games. I got a little injury before the end of the season, which kept me out for three weeks. Sounds familiar. He said, I came back with a week to go and I trained that week. And to cut a long story short, the boss put out the squad for the final and I wasn't in it. To say I was devastated was an understatement. I remember going to him and he said, well, there's a lot of people that are maybe fitter than you at the moment. And I said, yeah, but I need to be in this squad. That's what I kept saying to him. I said, I'm ready. And in the end, he decided to take me. But as the 19th man, I still had a bit of hope that I was going to make the bench. But the day of the game came and... He still didn't put me on the bench, and I was really devastated that day. Then he said, well, you know, once we won the Cup, I was delighted for the club, etc., etc., which is what he's got to to say. But he didn't play uh, from the start in the 2015 final either. Uh, He came on as a substitute, I think. Um, So he would have been angling for a Wembley start. So uh, for him, um, it would be a real blow if this injury, this hamstring injury, was going to keep him out. We'll have... Injury news and team news tomorrow over on Arsblog News. Uh, as soon as the manager meets the press, we'll see what else uh, crops up in the uh, in the press conference tomorrow. We're going to play Stoke away from home. It's going to be it's going to be difficult. It's always difficult there. We know that they get themselves up for this game. We know that the crowd are up for it as well. They make a lot of noise. They create an atmosphere which is not something we've always dealt particularly well with. But you know, it's about time. We're overdue a win there. We owe them at this point. And look, after the season that we've had and after the run that we've been on, we owe ourselves. Not that we owe ourselves, but you know what I mean? This team owes it to themselves to go there and overcome a little bit of a hurdle like they did in midweek against Southampton or a ground that we haven't won on uh, for quite some time. So it would be very, very timely to go to Stoke and bury that hoodoo. Then we've got Sunderland next week. We've got Everton on the final day of the season. And let's see what happens to, uh, to all the others. So look, it's all about the next game. Let's make sure that we win that. And then see what happens. See what the other teams do. See if anybody can help us out and see if we can uh, win the rest of our games and maybe finish in that top four. So look, James and I will be here on Monday. We'll have an Arscast Extra for you with all the uh, all the weekend events. We'll look ahead to the Sunderland game as well. So until then, have yourselves a fine weekend. Uh, I'll catch you on the next one. Cheers. Bye-bye.
Welcome back to Holy God FM. There she is herself, Amazing Grace, Grace Jones, and pull up to the bumper. We have an electronic communication, could be an email, could be a text, could be a WhatsApp, could be a facsimile message. We don't know. This is the world we live in now, where the wonders of technology allow us to communicate. Anyway, he says, Dear Holy God FM, I'm being bedeviled by earworms. Every time I try and go asleep, I've got a song going round in my head and I can't get it out. What am I to do? Yours, tiredly, a very loyal listener. Well, loyal listener, my heart goes out to you. There's nothing worse than lying there with a song in your head that you can't get rid of. But ultimately, the reason that's happening is because God is punishing you. God is saying, you, my child, have been an awful little bollocks. You've been a rapscallion, a ragamuffin, a blackguard, and probably some kind of ruffian as well. So to punish you... He's putting in your head a song that you can't get out of. The only answer is stop being such an annoying little bollocks. Now, moving on with the music. This is one that's sure to get you off your feet. It's that fella Jellybean. Jellybean Benitez featuring Steve Dante. It's like a disco inferno. Oh-ho! The real thing on Holy God FM.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.